Hi, buddy. Hey, it's bedtime stories. Seven. Dirty-faced cats. The deepest nostalgia I consistently experience comes from memories of watching Unsolved Mysteries at the age of ten, while at my grandmother's little cottage house a few dark streets away from the sandy shores of Georgian Bay in a magical place up here you've probably never heard of, Wasega Beach. A creepy little Canadian town, one of those that floods with tourists during the summer and is left desolate through winter. A place of secrets that will always be kept as they're now forgotten, along with their keepers. A place where to step out at night from your home or rental for a walk and a smoke under the glow of orange street lamps and into the maze of trees that line every numbered street seems intrusive somehow. The place is haunted by the sound of waves crashing and wind roaring, forces that dominate the vast and disconcerting din always sweeping over town from the bay. Wasega, a word used by Algonquin Indian scouts to warn each other upon seeing Iroquois raiding parties approaching. It feels ancient and brooding there, a powerful place insulted by an artificial breed of society. Swallowing man, woman, child, whatever it can in the choppy summer waters, ripping vehicles off the road during the harsh, persistent winters. And did I mention the cats? Psychic things with no home, showing up in the strangest of situations as if to take note, to pass on some seemingly innocuous piece of information to another realm. Cats. Stray cats, mainly. Love them, hate them, but it can't be denied that there's something enormous about a dirty-faced cat. Anyways, the television would wash us in the greenish glow of Unsolved Mysteries most Saturday nights in Wasega, making it feel as if the program had invaded, enveloped the dark living room. Maybe even the entire house, judging by the way the shadows would slither up, down, and around the hall in my periphery. Commercial breaks were welcomed, serving as a snapping of the spell only the voice of men like Robert Stack can conjure. Grandma would rise from her rocking chair and offer tea, Dad would scoff as he'd follow her into the kitchen in search of more chips, making Leroy and I laugh all the while by teasing her to get us a real drink, returning to refill our cups with ice and pop, mock-ducking her return fire as he did so. And then, back to the program, like being plunged underwater in Herb Baumeister's pool. That brand of true crime story is always the most disturbing. To think that some of the mysteries we all learned of from that show, many of them, to this day remain unsolved, and as the years continue to pile on, the more likely it is they'll stay that way. They drift further and further from collective memory, like the secrets of little places. Of course, there are exceptions, rare cases where society becomes attached to a crime, adopts it as morbid pop culture, and refuses to let go. Those cases, whether they become solved or not, at least stay in the light. There is nothing more disturbing than the thought of someone being violated, murdered, then effectively erased. So many horrible things have happened to people and remain unsolved, and those responsible, assuming they have no conscience, completely got away with it. They just took what they wanted, laid waste to their victim, and kept on moving, kept on saying good morning, afternoon, and evening to the neighbors, and maybe even good night to a few more victims before their own time here was up. 
If there's one thing I've learned about true crime, it's that the public's attention span is a fickle thing, that a staggering number of cases go unsolved and are soon forgotten, which, as a result, means our society has been, is, rife with thieves, arsonists, rapists, killers, who never paid, never will pay for their crimes, at least in this life. Private perps who hold the dark secrets like mental trophies that they polish through the act of simply bringing them to mind. It's an infuriating thought, a hard truth that we sometimes receive respite from when a boogeyman such as the bumbling BTK or the forever elusive original Night Stalker is exposed. But how rare is that? Tonight we'll be doing something rare ourselves for this spooky season of Halloween. We'll be covering a case you've most likely never heard before because it is of those forgotten. Halloween-centric crime is embarrassingly overdone, as this is an exciting time in the world of true crime podcasts. Though it shouldn't be. This may sound a little strange coming from someone like me, but I'm uncomfortable with celebrating murder, with giving it a time of year to feel good about itself. That being said, I love the fall, and stories involving death seem to suit it well. Fall is death, after all, but necessary, natural. The following dead time story is anything but. To me, it's just old, sad, hopeless, disturbing. And I'm ashamed to say it, above all, makes me feel melancholic, nostalgic. The spell likely never broken by those commercial breaks. After all, only given time to seep in deep. I can't help it, I'm a child of unsolved mysteries, of the Twilight Zone, of Anne Rice and Stephen King. A strange little dirty-faced cat like many of you, some stranger and dirtier than we're ever likely to admit. October 31st, 1958, 7.45 p.m., Chattanooga, Tennessee, Halloween night. Rossville Avenue seems nearly deserted compared to the rest of the city. The stretch of homes that line one side of the road face empty fields, train tracks, and the odd industrial building, making this maybe an unpopular destination for the pillaging that's just beginning to settle down elsewhere, as a bright moon above settles in. 21-year-old Price, a.k.a. Buster Stevens, appears puzzled, standing on the porch of his house, number 1930. This is his mother-in-law Myrtle Morgan's home, Truth be told, but he does live here with his young wife and kids on the second floor. They must still be out trick-or-treating, he assumes, as his third succession of knocks fails to gain him entry. He has a key, of course, but the door has been bolted from the inside, which is unusual. Buster appears distraught, though he wouldn't be so alarmed if it weren't for the phone ringing incessantly on the other side of the door. It's freaking him out, and when the man next door appears on the adjacent porch... Buster shakily asks him if he's seen Myrtle, who is always home at this hour. The man says he hasn't, and cocks his head to the sound of the ringing. There really is something disturbing about that trill, not to mention unusual, as it's just plain rude, frankly, to let a phone ring that long. And the two men are suddenly certain that Miss Morgan is in some kind of trouble. The neighbor suggests Buster try a different way in, and so, after another excruciating few moments staring at the darkened door, praying for the ringing to stop, hoping to hear Myrtle's voice ring out in its place, Buster tries another way, immediately finding success by yanking open the front window. The neighbor is behind him now, 
ready to run for help should something happen to the young man. The two were completely unnerved, maybe because of the season, but more likely because something truly does not feel right here. And, of course, there have been a few attacks recently. Buster climbs in and calls out, but the usually bustling home seems guilty and mute, like a dog gorged on garbage. He makes his way to the phone that's just inside Myrtle's bedroom and finally silences it by lifting the receiver to his ear. Hello? Buster? He recognizes the voice, one of Miss Morgan's friends. Yes, this is Buster. What's wrong, man? The woman seems frantic. Uh, is Myrtle okay? I was worried. I called the police. Buster, now even more disturbed, tells the woman he doesn't know where she's at, that he had to climb in through a window as the front door was bolted. There's a moment's silence at this. Then, the caller whispers, in a way that feels like a scream. Buster, I think there's someone in the house. Fifteen minutes earlier, 57-year-old Myrtle Morgan had been enjoying a rare moment alone in her home. Her son, on leave from the military, had taken her two youngest girls, 13 and 9, out to ice skate. The grandkids were with their mother trick-or-treating, and their father, Buster, wouldn't be home till around quarter to eight. So Myrtle picked up the phone in her bedroom and called up a friend from her gardening club. What they spoke about is their business, but perhaps Myrtle had an update on her ailing husband who hadn't been home the last ten years as a result of requiring care at a veteran's hospital. He had some issues still, even 30 years past his discharge from the service following World War I, and Myrtle had become matriarch as a result. After calling out goodbye to the kids from her bedroom, Myrtle had set to phoning her girlfriend, all the while holding the receiver in the crook of her neck, whipping the long pigtail cord around obstacles as she set up an ironing table. Moments after her three children had exited, a shadow from the sidewalk abruptly turned and quietly made its way up the porch steps of 1930 Rossville. It must have been waiting for this opportunity, as the timing was perfect. The creature then entered the home and secured the sliding bolt behind it with a free hand. The other clutched an axe handle. Myrtle, sensing movement elsewhere in the house, interrupted her conversation with this exact quote shared later by her girlfriend. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I hear a noise, I... I think it's Buster's little dirty-faced cat. One sec, dear. The friend, who later refused to be named out of fear for her own safety, then listened as Myrtle walked down a hallway to never return. After about five minutes, Myrtle's friend became somehow certain that something was wrong. She was aware of the recent attacks in the area and began yelling out for her friend through the phone. Soon, she heard heavy footsteps approaching, growing louder until they stopped likely at the entry to Myrtle's bedroom. The woman called out again, and the receiver crackled, as it presumably was lifted on the other end, then placed gently down in its cradle, disconnecting the call. Terrified and absolutely certain that someone had just broken into Myrtle Morgan's home, the unnamed woman called the police, then called back her friend Myrtle standing hypnotized by the hundreds of rings that, as you already know, eventually summoned young Buster to the line.
Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature, built-in true accent, gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient and it's an amazing value especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. All right, everybody, Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12-infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix, nicotine-infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine-infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix, nicotine toothpicks. Across town and following a long week of work at John Jolly's Garage, 24-year-old mechanic Tommy Benson had maybe spent his Saturday afternoon drinking. By the early evening, he was glued as usual to his scanner, fascinated by the action on the airwaves that always picked up dramatically on this night of celebrated mischief. There sure was a lot of excitement. Officers being called to all parts of the city, spread thin by the little devils who were busy painting the cheeks of homeowners red by splashing the town yellow with egg yolk. Tommy scrambles closer to the radio when he hears that a woman has been attacked on Rossville Avenue, an area he knows to have been the hunting ground for a rapist over the last two weeks. A young black man, from what he's heard, who has terrorized five older white women since October 12th. And now, by the sounds of things may have taken his methods to the next level. Tommy grabs his gun and without hesitation decides to respond to the call. He is familiar with the address 
It's just around the corner from his work. Rossville Ave is lined on one side with two-story homes that crowd the street, making it an ideal hunting ground for one so inclined to attack a lady on her porch, say, then maybe drag her into her home with limited opportunity for witness. Our would-be hero speeds to the address he'd picked up from the scanner, soaked with adrenaline and certain he'll be the first to respond. The mechanic does not consider for a moment the possible consequences of anointing himself a volunteer lawman, but he's too wrapped up in the information he's collected from the scanner. A young man named Buster had come across his mother-in-law on the kitchen floor, apparently. She was in rough shape by the sounds of things, and Tommy Benson was now hell-bent on finding whoever had done this. Sitting on a Rossville Avenue rock wall, completely unaware of the horror unfolding just a few houses away from where he's perched, a 16-year-old unnamed African-American boy watches as Tommy Benson screeched his vehicle to a halt in front of him, then came barreling out, brandishing a pistol, and accusing the young man of being the assailant. Confused and frightened, the kid took off running, with Benson close behind, through the backyards of those living on Rossville Avenue, plenty of which were on high alert following the recent attacks. Myrtle Morgan's direct neighbor, Miss Flossie Rogers, was in her backyard with her sister when the boy who fit the description of the local predator went flying past them, jumping fences. When Flossie saw Tommy Benson was in pursuit with a pistol, she cried out, Shoot him! Shoot him! And Tommy would have, had the boy not heard the frightening demand as well, and veered back out to the street, finally finding safety in the presence of police cruisers that were now screaming into the neighborhood. Safety! That word, I suppose, an exaggeration when it comes to this for the boy. Tommy Benson screamed out that he was the wanted rapist, prompting the rough arrest of the kid beside a passing train. The scene was absolute chaos, but thankfully, in the end, the boy was let go, and that greasy young cowboy Tommy Benson was justifiably arrested himself for his stupid and reckless behavior. Flossie was given a pass. Back at 1930 Rossville Ave, Myrtle Morgan's children are returning from their various Halloween activities. Their mother, their grandmother, the head of their home, lays dead inside, her face a mess of broken bones and ruined flesh, the result of having been bludgeoned by the blunt side of an axe head. Her skirt has been left pulled up in some attempt at molestation or rape once she'd been subdued, but the perpetrator had been forced to flee out the back door. When Buster had returned and tried to enter the front entrance, finding it locked. And that's all we know. It's the best we can do. A story gleaned from a clutch of old newspaper articles, over 60 years old. This is the way of things sometimes. You'll read of it in the paper, hear tell of it on the nightly news, and eventually, if there are no leads, no suspects, something else happens. Maybe something even worse. And then a crime actually gets solved, and the world seems right again. Though it isn't. It never is. I am helpless to imagine that the little dirty-faced cat that Myrtle had spoken of jumped down from the porch to greet the kids that fateful Halloween evening in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Surely it had been an eventful night for the little scamp. He'd witnessed vampires, princesses, ghosts, goblins, and now policemen. Earlier, a greasy cowboy brandishing a real-life pistol, and before that... A shadow man that had done something to mom. It's confusing, but sure exciting. 
this Halloween of 58, for Buster's little dirty-faced cat. It looks up through strobing red and blue light at its sobbing humans, some dressed in odd costumes that make this scene impossibly more surreal. Then the cat takes to cleaning blood from its paws. The only image ever taken of the unknown killer washing from the feline's mind and transmitting to some other space with each swipe of its prickly tongue. <laughs> 